my guest this week is a returning champion who was three appearances away from an induction to the Five Timers Club. <laughs> a comedy writer and performer, he's best known for his work with Jimmy Fallon, where he worked on superlatives and thank you notes and created the first draft of Rock, a personal favorite bit. He's written for The Onion, appeared naked on television various times, and is a go-to podcast guest. Today he's here to discuss the writer's strike and more. I am happy to welcome back Arthur Meyer. <laughs> Thank you, Ian. I, you're always uh, very flattering in every intro of your guest, and this one is no different. So thank you. Well, I wouldn't talk to people who I didn't like. So that's true. You should do one episode where you talk to someone who you don't like. I'm gonna throw out a name. Ted <laughs> uh, Cruz. I don't know. No, no one really likes Ted Cruz, right? Right. Al Franken said, "I like Ted Cruz more than everybody else." And I don't like Ted Cruz. Yeah, Ted Cruz. You want to know what's funny about Ted Cruz? He was on The Tonight Show back in like 2015 or 2016 or something. And during the commercial break, he wouldn't stop talking with Jimmy um, about Eddie Murphy. And he was doing even like an Eddie Murphy voice and everything and like like quoting his bits. Um, and I saw this because an editor showed me the, the footage after the show. Like if this had gotten out, it would have immediately eliminated Ted Cruz from being a presidential candidate, but he was just quoting Eddie Murphy, you know, and just saying like, boy, you know, just raw and delirious. I mean, those were game changers for me. <laughs> I'd like to see him in the jacket. Yeah, me too. I think that would make him go into contention for the presidency. If he showed up in the leather jacket. Yeah, totally. The, uh, yeah, the whole, the whole suit, right. Talking about his prime effing years. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't do the AIDS uh, bit. No, yeah, maybe not. That doesn't translate. So I yeah. want to talk first. I want to talk about the strike. Yeah. So the first riot strike was in '81. Yes. And was that about that was about tele, uh, cable? I believe so. Yeah. I'm I'm not completely perfectly steeped in my writer's strike history, but I I think you're right. I mean, there there's there's always a huge issue, you know, looming yeah. at each one of these because the one in '88 was about. Um, VHS? Yeah, VHS, I believe. And then the one in 2008 was DVDs? <laughs> yeah, I think so. And this is stream is mainly about streaming? Yeah, this is mainly about streaming. That, you know, all these streaming platforms are, you know, the studios are just making exorbitant amounts of money. And the people who create the shows are just getting a fraction of a percentage of the amount of money that's made. Um so, I mean, there's a number of issues right now. AI is a big one that's on the table. You know, that's kind of a scary one because that actually only really came up as a big issue for the Writers Guild in the last couple of months. You know, once just because the rate at which everything has been developing with AI is extremely fast. So all of a sudden, writers got worried that AI would start taking their jobs, which, you know, a couple of years ago even would have seemed maybe kind of silly, but now it actually feels like a realistic thing that I could kind of imagine studios entertaining, you know, like seeing if that is an option. I can't see it working with humor though. I can't really either, but you know, what's crazy is that a couple, like a month ago, I just, or two, maybe a month or two ago, I just, like I, I tried out chat GPT for the first time and the prompt that I put in was um, write a short, a funny short story about, Adolf Hitler changing his name to Steve Hitler. And it's immediately spit back a short story that made me laugh out loud multiple times. Like I could, and I don't know if I was partially laughing at the fact that it was such a, like that I couldn't believe what was happening, but I was like kind of impressed. I wouldn't have thought that, but any other time I've asked it to do something funny, it hasn't been funny. That was the only time. Was it Heil Steve? Yeah, actually, they didn't even mention that, but that would have been a good one. No, because that's a bit from um, Michael Keaton. Oh, he did a stand-up bit about that? Yeah, what if Hitler's first name was Biff, I think it was. Oh, okay. That's a good 80s comedy name, Biff. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, no, but I think in general, AI will have a hard time competing with humans in terms of just being funny. There's that kind of like ethereal quality, that mystery wildcard quality that you can't even really describe when there's someone who you find really funny. You know, you're just, you can't put into words why you find them funny. Like, did you ever read uh, Chris Farley's, you know, the oral history about Chris Farley, that book? And I think that there's a quote on the back, maybe, or it's, it's at least in the book, and it's Alec Baldwin talking about Chris Farley and how he was able to kind of do like 13 things at once without even knowing it or you know like he was able to kind of automatically do all those things you know right like you, you just there are certain people like Will Ferrell who you think of Kristen Wiig who are kind of doing like a dozen things at once you know um, who are b- being both small and broad at the same time and you can't put your finger on that quality, but it's amazing. And like Mitch Hedberg. Yeah, Mitch Hedberg. They couldn't do something like that. You know what's funny? I think I asked it to write a Mitch Hedberg joke recently. And it, yeah, it was not that funny. But here's the thing. They could write a Mitch Hedberg joke, but they could never deliver. Say, obviously, yeah, the delivery is like the key aspect of Mitch Hedberg. Or Stephen Wright. Yeah, Stephen Wright. Yeah. Yeah, those guys have such good deliveries that sometimes I wonder if you were to give those same jokes to a comedian with a much different, worse delivery, would the jokes even be funny? I don't know. Jeff Foxworthy. Yeah, there you go. Sorry, by the way, I should apologize. I'm getting over a cold, so I feel fine, but my voice sounds like this. (laughs) I did one one episode with... uh... Two episodes with COVID. With who? COVID. Not, he wasn't my guest. I had COVID. (laughs) I thought that's what you meant. I was like, oh, yeah, COVID. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, COVID. And it kind of sounds like Coldplay. Yeah, yeah. Musical guest, once again, COVID. Right. John Goodman with musical guest, COVID. I think I saw that one. Yeah. Uh, I I had Dave Thomas on, and it, Oh, this is my lost episode because it didn't tape. When oh, I to, really? When I went to listen to it. It was just me asking the questions and then blank. Isn't that funny? So all you ended up having was just a one-on-one, very enriching conversation with Dave Thomas. Like that's still a win, you know. It's, it's just other awesome. other people didn't get to hear it. That's the only difference. But he had COVID, so he couldn't do any impressions too. So. Oh, really? So I was like, "Yeah, you're Bob Hope." He's like, "Yeah, I can't do it." COVID. Right. But he was like, he was, he was coughing and it was, but he was really nice. Cool. He, 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 I asked him like, why is he in stripes for 10 seconds? Cause oh, he was in stripes. It's been 25 the years. Scene, the scene where um, they go to the, uh, the strip club and John Candy wrestles the five women in the, uh, in the pit of the mud pit. Uh-huh. He's the ref. Oh, Okay. So, I asked him, like, were you just hanging, like, did they ask you to come and hang around because, you know, Joe Flaherty's in the movie and, and all these, and then they said, ah, put the, put this stuff on and get it in the movie, or did, or was it that I heard that John Candy was, didn't want to be in that scene because he was going to be shirtless and he was embarrassed and, like, he asked you to be there just, to, like, for him, like, emotionally, and he was like, yeah, it's kind of, it was like that, and I filmed, like, five minutes and they cut it down to, like, 15 seconds. Oh, wow. I didn't either. But now nobody, I mean, now people will, but. Yeah, yeah, now people will, but before people didn't. But now they're back to knowing again. Exactly. Sorry, by the way, about the. Um, it's, uh, it's Brooklyn. Yeah, that's true. I'm in like the center of Siren City over here. Um, and I know there is another part of it getting rid of the credits and putting those little tiny boxes on the screen. Tiny boxes? If, if you're watching a show on, um, on cable TV, you probably don't do it, but. There'll be one show, and then the next, there'll be like the beginning of the second show, the end of the first show, and they'll just have the credits on the tiny box in the middle. Oh, I haven't heard anything about that being an issue that's on the table right now, but that totally might be one of them. There's kind of a number of issues, uh, basically. Um, which I mean, I, if you wanted me to, I, I would, I could happily go through <laughs> what some of them are, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, um, I mean, I, I think like one of the big issues is um, is these things called mini rooms. Have you heard about mini rooms? Um, possibly. 
mini rooms is, it kind of is what it sounds like like it's basically um it, it's not for late night shows but for um at least not any late night shows that i know of it's for mostly narrative shows that will just have a very small number of writers in the room um because studios want to cut back on their costs so they don't want to pay they're basically rather than paying an amount of writers that kind of make sense for writing a show they'll just they'll create these mini rooms which puts more pressure on the individual writers the mini rooms also only will often last like three weeks four weeks five weeks even even 10 weeks if that's your only job that you're working for that year as a writer you're you're not necessarily making your writers guild minimum you know um uh, and then also because of these mini rooms, a lot of times it puts, puts lots of pressure on the showrunner um, who then has to go handle all these scripts themselves. And, and they're the oftentimes the showrunner is the, the only person on set or one of just two people on set, whereas like the old model um, would involve, uh, you know, like if you wrote an episode, you're on set you know, helping out with it, kind of like how it works in late night, where if you write a sketch, you're also producing it basically. But now with these mini rooms, you know, the writers are, are, they're not on set as much anymore. So they're not able to learn all of the valuable skills that goes into making a show, which will obviously bode not good for the future. Um, so that's a big issue that's on the table is, is the mini rooms. And basically there's, you know, it used to be that if you were writing for a show, you know, Frasier or whatever, you know, that's the first sitcom that comes to mind, you know, you're working 10 months of the year and you're putting out what, 22 episodes or something, yeah. 24 episodes. Um, now with shorter seasons, you know, writers are more kind of trying to go from job to job, but having trouble, you know, being able to do that. Um, and with the course, streamings, right? The 10, 10, episode yeah. streaming, 10 episode streaming shows, you try to get like two of them a year. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So that, you know, that, that's basically, that's a big thing. Studios profits have gone up and then writers um, salaries and the amount of money that writers have made has basically stayed the same. Um you know, it's kind of your classic America story of the people in power making all the money, not caring about the people who are actually doing the work. I really don't know what these studio heads even actually do. <laughs> you know, like they kind of wear suits and make a decision every, you know, couple of weeks or something. <laughs> it would be yeah, they say yes or no, but they have no idea what. And if and if it's a hit, they can take take credit for it. And if they don't, and if it's not, they could blame the guy. And, who was there before them for making the show. Exactly. And also just to kind of underscore just how badly... Ooh, nice. We got another siren here. Um, just to kind of underscore just how how uh, difficult the negotiations have been. One of the proposals that the Writers Guild had was, um, and this is me reading this word for word, was to regulate the use of artificial intelligence on... Um, uh, covered projects. Artificial intelligence can't write or rewrite any li uh, literary material, can't be used as source material. Um, and then the uh, the counter offer was <laughs> the studios, the AMPTP, which is, you know, which represents the studios. They rejected the proposal and they countered by offering annual meetings to discuss advancements in technology. So rather than saying, no, we're not going to use AI instead of writers. They just said, well, what if we have meetings with you um, annually to talk about developments? And yeah, which, which means nothing. Which yeah, means mean nothing. So somebody like Lorne Michaels, mm -hmm. is he on both sides of he's a producer and a writer? Yeah, but he I mean, he he and he has his own production company, which is Broadway Video. But he, you know, NBC is the studio there. He's not. You know, I like he doesn't represent NBC. He, I guess Dick, it's yeah. Sorry. Wolf? What about Dick Wolf? I don't really know. I mean, he's the Law and Order guy, right? Yeah, but because some uh, writer told me he's the only one who still owns his show. Oh, interesting. So I didn't he, know that. He might be the only person who would be both. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that Lauren is definitely. If I had to guess, is I'm, I'm sure he's on the writer's side. Yeah. Yeah, he just wants his show to be back on the air, probably. 
he because he gave an interview saying he was he's been in the writer's guild since 1968. Oh, since 68 was Laffin, I mean Laffin. That, what's that? Laughing. Oh, that's right. Of course, he wrote for Laughing, and then the, then then there was like his show with uh, Pomerantz, right? Well, that or, was in Canada. That was in Canada. But that was that was after Laughing, though, right? That was after Laughing. He did um, the beautiful Phyllis Diller show, which was a short-lived uh, show. With he worked with Bob Schiller, Tom Schiller's father. Oh, and that's where he met Tom Schiller. I didn't know that. And then he did uh, the Burns and Schreiber Comedy Hour. Oh, so would this have been Jack Burns? Or... Jack Burns, yeah. And then three Schreiber, and Avery Schreiber. Oh, okay. I I know very little about it. He was Avery a big Schreiber. fat guy with a mustache, and he did Doritos commercials. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. He's on the Game Show Network all the time because that's what he did. Oh, okay. And then then he did the Lily Tomlin specials. And... Right. That's right. I forgot that he really had a lot of credits under his belt by the time he was doing SNL. But he, you know, obviously liked being behind the scenes more. He was on camera, right, for the Hart and Pomerantz. Yeah, he was, he was straight man. Yeah. And wasn't that kind of where they originated, like, the Weekend Update segment, essentially? I mean, it wasn't called Weekend Update, but it was a news segment yes. on that show, right, I believe? Yeah, they, they did that. They also did that on the on the, the Channel One Groove Tube. Yeah. And and they ended that one with "Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow," which is very odd. Oh, I never knew that. Wow, you know, you I'm always impressed with the, the vast well of knowledge that you have about all this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't do any good. Yeah. But Lauren said for the 50th anniversary, they're doing a show the night before at Radio City Music Hall with all like the musicians, all like all like. Wait, what? I heard about that, but what do you mean when you say the night before? The night before the fifth, like there'll be the fiftieth anniversary show live from Radio City, uh-huh. but the night before they're all there'll be like Jane and Lorraine singing Chevy's Girls, followed by uh, Steve Martin doing King Todd, and Nick the Lounge Singer, and probably uh, Jimmy Fallon doing the uh, Troll Dolls, or you know yeah. the, all the musical things in like a big show. Oh, so they're going to do a 50th anniversary show in addition to a show at Radio City Music Hall? Right. Wow, that's cool. And something at the Cannes Film Festival. Um, okay, that's really that's cool. I did what's the Cannes Film Festival thing? I he didn't know. He didn't say. He just said we're going to start at the Cannes Film Festival and then Oh, interesting. I mean, I'll go up to 1000 the ticket, but I don't think I could spend anything more than that. Yeah. Um, did I ever tell you? I, I I'm sure you'd find this interesting that I I got to be at the 40th anniversary. Yeah, you were a seat filler. Yes, I was a seat filler, and I watched Kanye West watch the Wayne's World sketch that happened like three hours into the show. Where were you sitting? At that time, I was just sitting like maybe three rows in front of home base. You know, like I but I was constantly moving around the whole night. Right. But like for the most part, I had like you know, practically a front and center view. I mean, I think when Eddie Murphy was on, I might've like actually been in the front row. <laughs> the whole thing like, was right. insane. And you're like, when's he going to do something funny? And then he just goes to commercial. Yeah. He just talked for five minutes and then, yeah, it was interesting though, but oh, yeah. and you went to the after show party. Oh yeah. That was a dream come true. I basically just went up to lots of people and told them how much they influenced me and, Especially people from the 95, 96 cast, which was when I started watching the show. Yeah, April 13th, 95 was the first time you watched it, right? Uh, May 13th, 95. May 13th, 95. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I saw Norm MacDonald and told him my favorite Weekend Update joke of all time. Have okay. I ever told you what the joke is? I think so, but that was like two years ago. Okay, yeah. The joke is that there's a boxer named Tommy Morrison. You know Tommy Morrison? Yeah, from Rocky Five. Yes, from Rocky Five, and he was going to come out of retirement despite the fact that he had tested positive for HIV. When asked about the potential health risks his opponents might face, Morrison said they might get AIDS, <laughs> and like the joke, like pretty much dies, and then like five or ten people start laughing really funny, like hysterically. I mean, it's such a funny like non-joke. But I told Norm that, and he was like, "Oh man, it was fucking funny. It's good." And uh, he's like, oh, I didn't write that one because I had asked him who wrote it. And then immediately he turned to Frank Sebastiano, who was right there. 
who also used to be an update writer. Right. And he was like, Frank, this guy here has a joke. Uh, you know, t- tell Frank the joke there. So I told Frank the joke and he was like, <laughs> oh, that's funny, man. Yeah, no, I don't know who wrote that one. <laughs> no one could remember. Maybe it was a, a Downey joke. It was either Downey or... Uh, or Norm, um, right? Well, Norm, Sebastiano, Downey, and uh, the fourth guy. There was a fourth. Ross Abresh. Oh, yeah. Okay, yes. It might have been hit Ross or Jim Downey. Right. Okay, so Ross Abrash was a weekend update writer. Yeah. Interesting. And then, that. yeah, they used to have a breakfast on Saturdays where they would the writers would read the newspapers, get, have an omelet station, and write weekend update. Oh, really? And then when Norm took over, they ended it. That's what uh, when I had uh, David Mandel on. Yeah, I think I listened to that interview, but I forgot that. Oh, no, not, I, I do kind of remember him mentioning that now. So why did they end it when Norm took over? He just didn't want to do that anymore? Or was, oh, oh, was it It was that... Herb Sargent left. Right, so was it that more writers used to contribute to Weekend Update, and then when Norm started doing it, it was you know basically just like him, Downey, and Ross, and Frank? Yeah, that, and I think it was, it was more of... Um, this was something that Herb Sargent created... Yeah, he would also give baked goods to the production crew on, on show day. Herb Sargent. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. I've heard such great things about him from all the people that worked there. Yeah, yeah. It's. I feel like I heard some not as great thing. I mean, nothing bad, but just like um, someone was. I can't remember who. Someone maybe it was on Dana Carvey and David Spade's podcast or something was talking about not. Uh, loving working with herb but i can't remember what who that was uh don't quote me on that <laughs> the weirdest thing that herb sergeant that you would think that herb sergeant wrote that you wouldn't would was rapping jimmy b he wrote that with jim belushi oh okay i just always assumed that was a straight jim belushi piece you know right that's interesting did um do you know what else herb sergeant like sketches he wrote on the show well, mostly we can update okay and some other stuff. Um, what's weird? Carl Gottlieb um, mm-hmm. was who wrote Jaws. Was originally asked to be the head writer and turned it down because Jaws came out like right that that week. And he's like, "Yeah, I don't think I need to do this to get into movies. Um, I'm in movies." Oh but wow! He wrote a couple of the original uh, commercials. Okay, like New Dad or something. Well, New Dad was Rosie Schuster. Um, oh, Rosie Schuster wrote New Dad. I don't yes. know that. And um, you got to gotta listen more on my podcast. No, um, it's so funny because I feel like I listen to most of the episodes. Maybe yeah. I've just forgotten these little knowledge gems that you've dropped. <laughs> All right. So then call, the one about where Chevy and uh, Jacqueline Carlin, they're just walking and they don't talk. And they yeah. say, none of these people use any beauty products to make themselves more attractive to each other. Oh, yeah. Okay. And American American van lines, right, right, right. Wow, that's so cool. Do you know who wrote this? The swill, or was it? Is that what it was? That's that. Alan's Weibel, because we just talked about it. Oh, okay. And he was talking about how he wrote that one. Wow. Yeah, there were some great commercials back then. That there's a lot of those still are very funny to watch. Little chocolate donuts and. Yeah. You know. I asked him about Banshee. Oh yeah, what is that? He, he no, he, he loved you know he 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 loves that one. Yeah, I, I love that one too. Like I liked uh, uh, what's it? Downey's uh, the Traveler's Checks. Uh, oh yes, Craig's Traveler's Checks. Craig's Traveler's Checks. Yes, yeah, so that's a perfect. I mean that that's got to be Downey all the way, right? Like. Well, he he's in it too. So yeah, yeah he's yeah. I assume he read it. And then the the uh, I'm in the shower right now, so leave a message. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. That's a great one. I want to ask you about dinner with your parents. When you told me about this, I was like, oh, I can't wait to see this. Yeah. So I mean, all I know at this point. So basically, for anyone who doesn't know, I I there's a show that's being remade. It was a British series called Friday Night Dinner, which they've tried to remake in America. I think like three or four times, maybe. Um, they're finally doing it now with Amazon's Freebie Network, and it's called Dinner with the Parents. And all I know is that it's going to be released 
in the fall is what I've heard, but that's as much information as I have. But that was the first, uh, you know, narrative show that I've written for. So I did that last year. I was a staff writer and uh, it was a, a really fun time. Was it done all on, um, Zoom? on Zoom? Yeah, but I was the only New York-based writer. Everyone else is in L.A., but we were we met on Zoom every day. Much more manageable hours than a late-night show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Plus, you got to work with Michaela Watkins, who is an SNL castmate. Yeah, that's right, Michaela Watkins. I, I never really worked with her aside from sitting in on a couple of table reads, but... Yeah, she, I mean, she was so nice. Um, Dan Bacadal is on the show. Henry Hall, who is the son of Brad Hall. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, most people I would say is the son of... Really the, yeah, but on this podcast, I say that he is the son of Brad Hall. Um, well, she was there longer. Oh, you no, know, totally. But I'm just like, this is, uh, this is the only podcast where people, as many people will know who Brad Hall is as... <laughs> as julia louis dreyfus um uh who else this dude named daniel thrasher who's like really big online carol kane is on the show well, that's great that's amazing that's amazing and then john glazer is also yeah, he's very funny yeah uh he's great and then there's some other you know funny people doing side, side roles and stuff rob delaney is on the show so it's it's, oh, it's a really funny cast Rob delaney's great yeah um yeah it's always sunny is a show i've seen every episode of all 38 seasons of it? <laughs> How many seasons have there been? Like this 16? is the 16th. Wow. Is it still funny? I, I mean, I, yeah, I always it's, it's it. still funny. It's still okay. funny. So is your, is your son going to know like the air dates for every Bluey episode? <laughs> That's so funny. Because he can't, he, he can't know SNL yet. Yeah, no, no, yeah. That's so funny. That's a good one. I God, I hope not. Um, I hope he doesn't follow in his father's footsteps as far as knowing the obscure dates of TV shows. Goes. People try to stump me, just like they, the, you know, the same thing that I heard you on. I heard you on uh, Punch Up the Jam. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Those guys were funny, and then I started listening to it, and then it got canceled. I know, I know. They're really funny. Those dudes. They used to do the um, what do you call it? Uh, the news music thing. Why can't I think of it? Oh, auto-tune the news. Auto-tune the news. I don't know. You've never heard of auto-tune the news? No. Oh, wow. I guess it was like this massive internet thing, but it's maybe like 10 years old. But those yeah, guys I'm, are... I'm old. Yeah. We're both kind of old. We're. F uh, I'm five years older than you. Oh, right. Yeah, I'm 39. Well, you're 44? 45. 45, okay. Oh, I thought you were 40. I thought you were 40. Oh, no, I'm 39. Oh, you're, you're, you are my younger brother's age. Oh, yeah? What's his name? Scott. And what does he do? Does he do a Mad TV podcast? <laughs> no, I kill him. Um, <laughs> but nice. he, he has my sense of humor. I have a brother in the middle. And he we're all funny in different ways. Yeah. But he, he was a Norm guy. My, my Oh, like guy. a big Norm fan? Yeah, so we went to see Norm together twice, which was fun. Yeah, Norm's the best. Yeah, I had tickets. I had tickets. He died in September. I had tickets to his show in November. Oh, really? Was this? Did he die in twenty twenty one? Yeah. Okay. I had tickets in November of twenty twenty one. So he was he was booked. Wow, man, he was so funny. Yeah, I saw him four times. I think. Wow. Favorite. I mean, favorite update anchor of all time, right? Yeah. Yeah. No contest for me. I was going to say Charles Rocket, but. <laughs> Funniest anchor who didn't take his own life, then I would have to go to Norm McDonald. Oh my god! <laughs> you're, you're the only guest I actually get to be myself with, which is yeah, which is good. Yeah, good. I'm glad. Um, uh, you know, I was a big Kevin Nealon update fan for a little while there. Although, I, you know, right. I like, I love Dennis Miller. Yeah, I was never crazy about him, but you, you like Dennis Miller. Well, that's when I started watching. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I mean, that he must mean a lot. So, I, I was 13. He left the show. I was like, how are they going to replace him? Yeah. And then Nealon was such a different... Because Nealon was doing the Chevy. Yeah. Yeah, like, that's right. Like a yeah, yeah. Straight... 
Kind of some evergreen jokes, too. Jokes like, you know, a local weatherman went insane this week when during a routine pollen count, he lost track and had to start all over from the beginning. Like, that kind of stuff. Exactly. That you could do at any time. Yeah, exactly. And then I liked uh, Jane and Bill. Yeah, I like them, too. Okay, here's a question for you. Favorite weekend update set of all time? That's a tough (laughs) one, right? I like the one they have now. Yeah, that is a nice one. And uh, Jane and Billy. Yes, I would say probably Jane and Bill is, is my favorite. And I actually really kind of like the Dennis Miller one. That's cool. One. Yeah. Favorite home base. Oh my god, that's a great question. Okay, I think I I think I have my answer for this. I think I think it's just that like early nineties ish like candelabra in the background kind the of ballroom. Thing. Yeah, exactly. I really, I, I just really like that. Like, or especially like ninety four, ninety five, like that kind of look. You know. Yeah. Um. What about you? It's funny. It's the two worst seasons. Mm. I love season six. Yeah. And I love the eighty five, eighty six with the movie theater with that's the a really the, cool one. Yeah, both really cool. And then, you know, in 86, 87, have you ever seen they had a few of those episodes where it's kind of, it's not like the traditional set? Like, I think Robin Williams hosted in 86. And oh, yeah. I know there's no band behind him or anything. It's just kind of, it it has more of a feel of a stand up club, which now that I'm saying it, I'm like, maybe they did that because Robin Williams was the host. But I I think they did that a few times. Well, no, that's when they started that one with the, that you were talking about. It was 86. With the candelabra and all that. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I like, you know, also it was cool, the, the newsstand that they only used for a couple episodes in 84. Oh, yeah, the newsstand was cool. But that was because that they were in studio, they were in Fallon's studio because of uh, election coverage. Oh, okay. Yes, that's right. They did that in 82, 84, and 76. Wow, Okay, seventy six. They went. They did the show in, in Midwood, Brooklyn. Actually, really, where they did the first season of uh, the Cosby Show. Oh wow, I didn't know that. The first six episodes were done in Brooklyn. No kidding. Uh, that's not even an NBC studio anymore. I don't even know what it is. Huh. But they had a studio in Brooklyn. Wow, I didn't know that. Until like the eighties. Yeah. I also, I want to see the Arthur Talks to Strangers podcast. Oh yeah, so that so okay, so here's I here's a little update on on my personal projects and stuff. So Arthur Myron Talks to Strangers is a podcast I was gonna do, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's me talking to people on the street who I've just met moments ago. That's kind of been been shelved for a little bit. But what I am doing is working on a big um you a big new YouTube channel uh called ABC Parenting and it's um it's basically a, a you know a parenting advice YouTube channel that's hopefully funny um but it's gonna star me and Stephanie Drake who was on the show Mad Men she played one of Don Draper's secretaries in the later seasons okay. and there's about 150 other people in it um a couple bigger names but I I don't even want to mention the names quite yet um. Uh, and then also tons of kids and babies are going to be in it, but it's going to be 50 episodes and it'll hopefully be out starting around the end of the summer or something like 15 minutes each, 30 minutes each. No, no, like three to five minutes, maybe Yeah, cause you can't use a baby for, yeah, no, you, yeah, exactly. I'm not even talking about child labor laws. I'm just talking about focusing. Just, yeah. The actual practicality of using a baby. Yeah. Well, a lot of it is is actual. It's like home shot footage. Um, so it'll be like you know, parents and kids and stuff um, shooting things from home. But then uh, me and Stephanie are kind of playing the hosts, and we we shot it from a sort of a home base set. Oh, so these are like let's say big names or, or comedians who have who who have kids right now, and they shoot something and they send it to you. Yeah, some of them have kids, some of them don't. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, maybe one or two old SNL people. I'll just mention that much. <laughs> Have I had them on, though? I don't believe so. No, I don't think so. Maybe you could put a little freaking lean on them a little bit. <laughs> the one who I really want to talk to is she was the head writer 
five, six years ago. I can't remember her name. Of SNL? Yeah. She was one of the head writers. Anna Dresden? Yes. Because she grew up in my hometown. Oh. And we're exactly 10 years apart. In age? In age. Oh, wow. Yeah, Anna's... She was in my high school. Yeah. So I'd love to talk to her and just ask her, like, did you have this teacher? Did you have that teacher? I'm sure it'd be fascinating to her. <laughs> yeah, no, it probably would. She's hilarious. I mean, she wrote some of their funniest stuff when she was at the show, I thought. like, And, and she's one of those writers who you could kind of tell when a sketch was hers just yeah. based on the content of the sketch. Like, you're just like, oh, that feels like an Anna Dresden sketch, you know, in a good way, like kind of in that Jack Handy sort of way. Where you're like, oh, yeah. oh, this feels like a Jack Handy, you know. Or a Jim Downey. Yeah, or a Jim Downey sketch. Yeah, I love I love being able to tell when it's a Jim Downey sketch. Did you you can't put too much water in a nuclear reactor? Is that um, the Five Mile Island sketch? No, it was it was Ed Asner was the host, and they didn't know what whether he was retiring. And he goes, "Remember, you can't put too much water in a nuclear reactor." And they didn't know if they meant that you could put as much water as you want because you can't put too much in, uh-huh. or he was <laughs> warning them you can't put too much water in a nuclear reactor. Oh, that's really funny. That and that was a Jim Downey sketch. Yeah. Wow, they they must have had some real because uh, that's also the episode where Larry David's sketch aired, right? No, that was Ed Begley Jr. Oh, Ed, I'm confusing my ads. You're totally right. But I think it was the episode before. Oh, okay. Yeah, because those are both some pretty subtle premises. Um, that yeah, the elevator, know. the elevator operator. Yeah, I mean that sketch kind of died, right? Yeah, it's, a, it's such a funny sketch, especially when you know Larry David wrote it and the concept of it. But yeah, I mean, it was the last sketch of the night, I think. And, you know, very few laughs. The thing I wanted to ask you about, mm-hmm. uh, when I heard about the, your author Meyer talks to strangers. Yeah. Was, are you a Letterman or a Conan guy or both? Both. Both. Because it's so Letterman. Um, oh, Arthur Meyer. Yeah, totally. I mean, but there's also something Con- Conan-y too. I mean, the, the right. talking to people that you're just meeting on the street is the, a Letterman thing. But the um, Conan abroad, that was what Conan was doing. Uh, wait, what was? The Conan o- abroad uh, specials. Oh, yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. But even just, I've, I think I also have been always very influenced by the Conan Letterman thing of just saying what the thing is at the very top of the sketch you know which feels very conan feels very like robert smigel very letterman to just be like here's the thing that we're doing you know um no i mean i love both uh growing up i was do you know i I got to be a guest on letterman yeah i've seen it yeah yeah yeah. i mean that was a highlight of my life but you know um i love anything what's that do you keep anything like a a pass that said like guest or whatever they give um the one thing I can remember keeping uh, is the mug, which I still have. Oh, that's you know, awesome. they, yeah, they let you, which is now like kind of faded because I was on the show like 10 years ago, but I still cherish it. That would be one thing that I'm like, if it broke or something, I would feel bad about that. Mm. Um, yeah. I don't know if, if you know the Letterman podcast. Yeah, I've listened to some episodes. Yeah, um, I, I help the, those guys get guests. It's oh, wow. That's right. Yeah, the guests are great. The guy's the guy is really nice. Who is the guy? Like what's Mike, he? Mike Chisholm. Yeah, he's from he's from um, Canada, and you know those guys who found in the dumpster Letterman's um, studio and they put it in their basement. Yeah, he was their um, engineer. Oh, okay, interesting. And then he broke off to his own show where it's just about Dave. Wow, yeah, that guy's good. He's very enthusiastic and clearly a massive fan of the show, which is kind of the perfect sort of host that you want for something like that. Right. And that's what I mean. I, I told him like Mark Malkoff does that for the tonight show with Johnny Carson did that for the tonight show. Yeah. And I wanted to do that for SNL and then, yeah. but there's so many, Oh my God, there's like five podcasts that do that. Yeah. Do they get as obscure guests as you do though? I mean, you, you really land some names mm-hmm. that are like, I feel like, the the biggest of SNL fans would appreciate. Yeah, but that that's my problem. I think that's my problem. <laughs> it's, a, it's a niche. Yeah, it is. Yeah, or niche. As niche. Yeah. Um, but they they had the anyone the uh, anyone can host a contest winner. Uh, not oh, a, right. 
the one from Vassar. The... Did you listen to that? I haven't listened to that. Yeah, I listened to that. Was it interesting? It was really good. Yeah. But, uh, and then there's another, I'm going on one tomorrow. They just started the Not Ready for Primetime podcast. Yes, I think I saw that one. They they review the whole show from they started from episode one and they're going to do the all hundred and six original episodes. Oh, so they're just doing the, those first five seasons. Yeah, interesting. That is a very interesting time period to watch to see how the show. I feel like you really feel the show evolving in those five years, you know. And yeah, I'm coming on to talk about the Ron Nesson episode. Oh, okay. It's uh, what April twenty fourth, nineteen seventy six. Is that right? Yes. With um April seventeenth. Seventeenth maybe, yeah, with Patty Smith. The Patty Smith group, yeah. That's one of my favorite host musical guest uh combination. You know, I love it when it's like Steve oh, yeah. Rage Against the Machine. That when we had this thing yeah. on um alt TV SNL, like way back in the early nineties. Uh-huh. Um we, we, we pretended that um Saturday Night Live was came on after your show or shows. Uh-huh. Like not not twenty years later, but like in nineteen fifty five, and we came up with we tried to come up with episodes that would have aired if SNL was on in the fifties and sixties. <laughs> what so, did you come up with? So this is actually some of the ones that I did, and I looked I looked because you can look on Google all the way back on the internet use groups. Uh-huh. Um, Jane Mansfield and Paul Anka, February fourteenth, nineteen fifty nine. Um, November 11, 1967, the host was Warren Beatty and musical guest Strawberry Alarm Clock. I have never heard of Strawberry Alarm Clock. They were like a mid-60s one-hit wonder um, psychedelic music uh, band. That's so funny. What Do you have any more? This is, this is funny. Um, the Smothers Brothers, but they were their host and musical guest. Oh, that's a good one. So they, that's all. You, know, you, could, you could just do anybody. You could just say like... Um, Michael Landon with musical, <laughs> guest, with musical guest Herman Hermits. <laughs> and he, I always have that the, the first episode was uh, Jack Benny with um, was the host. Yeah, the musical guest was Bill Haley on the Comets. Oh, that's a good one. That's so funny. I mean, man, those musical performances in the seventies are. I mean, that's. That's just the best, right? I I would say that has to be the best era for musical guests on SNL, just because of the extremely wide range of guests yeah. that they would have. Preservation well, Hall Jazz Band. I mean, that's incredible. Well, you're not a fan? No, no, I love it. I'm oh, I, I love that performance. It's like eight old men playing on stage, and they're not even moving, and they're playing incredible music. And you know, it's like they would never have that on the show now. I had on Janine Nichols. Um, she was the um, musical coordinator for the show. Her job was with the musical guests. Oh, I think I listened to that episode. And she was saying that when they got when they had to get somebody who was like Eddie Money, then yeah. they would say, "Okay, well, we want Sun Ra." Oh, okay, I see. So that would be kind of they would sort of balance out an Eddie Money with a Sun Ra. So, like, Gene Domanian would take whoever was hot. Yeah. And then they would take avant-garde. That's very cool. Yeah, so... Because then people were always like, well, why do they have this person and then that person? That's why. Yeah, that's true, because they really also... Yeah, I mean, you're right. They would have the Eddie Moneys. They would have very down-the-middle musicians as well, but then they would have super weird Leon Redbone kind of people. Right. Doobie Brothers. and And then the Talking Heads. Yeah. Great so, performance. Yeah. Good performances, I should say. Now, everybody knows the oldest and youngest host. Yes. Drew Barrymore and Betty White. Betty White, yep. Who were the oldest and youngest musical guests? Oh, wow. That is a great question. Okay. Youngest? The oldest is easy, I think, for you. Huh. Can I start with my guess for the youngest? Okay. Although I don't know if this is right. It's a tie. What's it, is, that? it is a tie. Is musical youth one of the answers? That is one. Okay. Because they were like 12. I mean, some of those guys in the group must have been like 10. 11-year-old. The lead singer was 11 years old. Yeah. Who was that? Joan Rivers hosted that one? Joan Rivers. And she was, her combined age, their combined age was the same as hers. 
Oh, that's right. She made a, that joke, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, it's actually true. I looked it up. And there was, is it Ty? So there's another 11 year old? Yeah. 11 year old. I don't know. Who is it? Zach Hansen. Zach Hansen. Hansen. Wow. Oh, 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 from Hansen. Oh, wow. Yeah, of course. The drummer. Yeah. Okay. Helen Hunt, 97. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then oldest, oldest, oldest. Wow. I'm kind of drawing a blank right now. Can you? Oh, yeah. Original give, me like era. give me an era. Original, Original era. era. Um, is it a solo artist? He was a solo artist, but he was with another artist. Does Joe Cocker's health count as an old person? <laughs> no. Because his health was that of a dying person. You mean the fact that he had, um, <laughs> uh, whatchamacallit? The, he, just, polio. I mean, he, he just looked like he was about to collapse when he performed. Yeah, and he lived and he performed seven years later. Almost. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, was the first that... concert I ever went to, actually. Oh, really? That's 92. Cool. Yeah. Um, oh my god, I can't. They give you the host. Yeah, give me the host. Gary Busey. Oh, shoot. Um, Gary Busey. There are two artists in their own right. Yeah. Mr. I, Gre I... Mr. Gregory Hines. Oh, Gregory Hines. And the, from the Broadway play, UB, UB Blake. 92-year-old oh. UB Blake. How old was UB Blake? 92. Wow. And Gregory Hines was what, like in his 20s or something? Third, early 30s. Okay. Boy, it's been a long time since I've seen that performance. I totally forgot about that one. It's one of my favorite performances. That's why was Gregory Hines tap dancing in it. He was ta he did a tap dancing break. Wow, I love those really weird. You ever see that Bobby McFerrin one from '88? I think when he's just kind of solo. Yeah. yeah, black pussy, the dead of night. Take these broken wings to fly. He didn't sing that song, but no, he did the Star Spangled Banner. That's why I was like, Oh yeah, what is he doing Kyrie or whatever? Yeah, <laughs> that's a really good trivia question. Oldest and youngest musical guest. Wow. And what's weird is there's an 81 year difference in both Drew Barrymore and Betty White, and Betty White was 80, was 89, and UB Blake. So Be Betty White was 89. Is that right? 88, and Drew Barrymore was seven. Oh right. Okay, so 81. Yeah, you're totally right. It's yes, both an okay. 81 year gap, which is weird. That is weird. Have you heard of a artist named Vera Sola? No. She's an avant-garde indie artist. Uh-huh. I was going to ask you, you never heard of her, but um, what original cast member is her father? Um, what's her name again? Vera Sola. That's her stage name. What original cast member is her father? Yep. Garrett Morris? Dan Aykroyd? Yeah, it's Danielle Aykroyd. Really? Yeah, she has, she does this eclectic music. She lives in Brooklyn. Wow. But I would always like to see uh, him host and have her as the musical guest. Yeah, totally. Okay, here's a question for you. All-time favorite and or least favorite musical performance in the history of Saturday Night Live. Man. For me, there's a favorite that like jumps immediately to mind, which I'm sh I'm sure you love too, if if I had to guess. Well, I mean, you brought up Joe Cocker. I love the Joe Cocker with... It's the same year as that performance. The band. That's a good guess. It's a little bit later than the band. No, I'm saying one of my favorites was the band. Oh, the band was great. Yeah, absolutely. Is it? Is he sitting in a sandbox while he's playing his? <laughs> no, who is that? Like Garfunkel or something? Well, Brian Wilson sitting in the sandbox. Oh, right, of course, yeah. It's a little bit later than that, even. Oh no, that okay. That is my actually. That is my um. If it my all time favorite performance is Frank Zappa and Don Carter doing "I'm the Slime." I'm the Slime. That's it. That is my favorite musical performance. Yeah, me too. It's that weird. Yeah, I mean, it's so good. He taped. Uh, um, he had a week of shows at, at across the street, uh -huh. and Don Pardo went and did his part. Really? A week. Yeah, it's on his album. 
I am the slime. Oh, yeah. That's right, Frank. That's if anyone out there listening has not ever seen that musical performance, that's one of the coolest, weirdest, and best performances ever on the show. And I have mixed feelings about Frank Zappa, but I really love that performance. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Frank Zappa. But... Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, he's amazing. He's the only person that I really liked that I never got to see. Yeah. He's amazing, but the que- the debate I always have about Frank Zappa is, is Frank Zappa funny? His songs are. Him as a person, I don't think is. Yeah. Yeah, some of his songs are pretty funny, right? But yeah, like when he hosted SNL, I mean, he wasn't very funny, right? Because like the sketches he, he on Monday, he proposed these sketches that were like bad. Yeah. He goes, oh, they're too hip for you, you're too hip for you. And then he played the whole week as just like an F.U. Yeah, that's right. Who's okay. your? Oh yeah, go ahead. Who was your least per- musical performance? Yeah, it's actually one that just aired like a year or two ago. Um, but I was watching it. I was stoned at home and watching it, and I like couldn't believe how bad it was. And it was, I had to like watch it the next morning to be like, was this actually that bad? And it was. It was like. I don't even remember who sang it, but the song was called Push and Pee or something. It was just, it was like a minute, 40 seconds long. Let me see if I can look it up. Um, push and Pee. Uh, Hotel accommodations for most guests of Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was Gunna and Future. So this was like a year ago. Um, yeah. I don't I don't even, even, okay, I'm too old. I don't even watch the musical guests anymore. Yeah, I mean, they're, it's, it's, you know. A it's lot of li- it feels kind of the same. It's little plus a word. Yeah. Yeah. And Married with Children is on at the same time, so I just go to Married with Children, and they come back like five minutes later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about you, worst... worst? Uh, I mean, it's hard because some of the worst ones are just not... Mem- it's more that they're not memorable, but, you know. Yeah. And, you know, then there's, like, an easy answer, like Ashley Simpson, but that's kind of, like... You know. Esther Phillips was really bad the first season. Why I mean, now I know the backstory. Marianne Faithful is not. It comes off better now that. Oh right, yeah, yeah. That was an interesting one. That was um, Chevy Chase hosted that one in 1980, right? Yeah. Um, I don't mind that performance it, only because of, I mean, you, her voice is totally shot, but it's, it's just like, well, I've never really seen anything like this on TV before. Laura. Oh, the a band I actually liked the Go-Go's when they performed, they were so high and they were so bad. Oh, really? They were really high when they performed? Yeah. On what? Coke or something? Yeah. Oh, interesting. You know who else I remember being not great was um, uh, the clash actually. Um, uh, you know, they did like, should I stay or should I go? And I don't know. They just didn't sound great, but maybe that, that might've also just been the, the audio quality of some of those early eighties shows. Oh, Ron Howard, the clash, by the way, is a great, that's a good, like incongruous host musical guest pairing, but he probably was a fan of the clash. Who knows? Cause he's, he was only 28. Yeah. So he might have been. I would guess he was a bigger fan of The Clash than they were of him, if I had to guess. <laughs> Fonzie, we love Fonzie. <laughs> this is when I when I when I saw, saw you talk about Imagine, uh, you know, by John Lennon. Yeah, I mean, not the Imagine by uh, somebody else, but um, right. yeah, the well, famous the famous John Lennon one you're talking about, right? Um, Elvis Costello. Was one of my favorite performances. He does the yeah. song "Other Side of Summer," uh-huh. where he does the line, "Was it a millionaire who said, imagine no possessions?" Oh, interesting. And all the little schoolgirls who said, "We don't need no lessons." Oh, okay. How to imagine no possessions? Yeah. But then he said, "No, this, it wasn't a dig against John Lennon." Well, what else could it have been? Yeah, that. Had, yeah, that's. What else would that have? Been? Yeah, you're right. Um, unfortunately, I, I I should probably go in like a couple minutes because um, I I could hear that my little son woke up. Aw, well, what? Uh, I don't even know. Are you like not saying his name for? Uh, oh no, his name's Theo. A big Cosby Show fan. 
Um, yeah, I mean, less so now, but you know, um, it's, uh, I mean, the character of Theo is great. Um, any Theo I've ever heard of or known has been cool, which is always a good sign. Is it Theodore and you call him Theo? No, his name is is Theo Sonny Deneve. Yeah, he has my wife. My wife's last name is Deneve. And is the Sonny Corleone reference? No, it's just like, we just kind of like the name. It's actually S-U-N-N-Y. That's cool. My daughter's name is Alexa Sky. She's 11. Oh, yeah. She's been a guest on the show, right? Yeah, twice. You and her. And and Kevin Kelton. Oh, Kevin Kelton. He's great. I reached out to him recently because I enjoyed hearing him talk on the interviews, and he wrote a very nice uh, thing back to me. Oh, that's that's cool. Yeah. And I thought your your, your son was going to be named Lorne Demanian Ebersole <laughs> Lorne Meyer. <laughs> Lauren Dumanian Eversall. And then back to Lauren. Yeah. Okay, here's be, before we go, here are two hypotheticals for you. One, do you think SNL will continue past the 50th year? And two, if so, who do you think will will take over? Uh, easy answer for the first one, yes. Mm-hmm. Not so easy. I have no answer for this. Could it could it be uh, a bunch of people? Like somebody who takes the financial side, somebody Higgins. Higgins would probably be a, up there. But he's going to be like 60, right? Yeah, but, you know, Lauren's 115 right now, so. No, but I know. It's it's, it's almost like the United States presidency. You're going to replace an 80, 80-year-old. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Let's get that young 70-year-old. Yeah, person. get that, yeah. It would be cool if they brought in kind of a younger person. Seth Myers. I, I was actually just reading two days ago that he he kind of is taking himself out of the... I mean, not even that he was in the running necessarily, but he just he doesn't want to do it, I don't think. I give it to Alan's Why the Hell. Yeah, why the hell not? Then you go 10 years later. Yeah. The ghost of Michael O'Donoghue. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I was never the biggest fan of his, but... I want to... I wanna, sorry, I want to... Yeah, go ahead. You and I have one other thing in common. We have a lot of it, but... Um, the seventh season is so fascinating to me. Yes. Because I you did the Bernadette Peters episode with that week in SNL. And um yeah. there's so there's so many good episodes in the beginning of that year. And uh-huh. then they fire O'Donio. There's so many bad episodes after that. Oh, were there good episodes early on in that seventh season? I mean, I I I'm trying to think like what what like the Rod, the first one was was really good. Oh, the with you no know, host and Rod Stewart. Right. Yes, that was a funny one. Yeah, I thought the Halloween one was fascinating. Oh, Donald Pleasant. Yeah, I got to do my impro. The really the rather nice people, but the really quite nice old Halloween night guest. And by the way, look out for surprises, ladies and gentlemen. Fear. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Um, the Susan St. James one was pretty good. Okay, yeah, some of these ones I would have to go back and rewatch. Tim Curry just- and Meatloaf is really good. Oh wow! I should rewatch some of these. And the one pe- one really esoteric guest that I tried to get was one of the Whit- Yale Whiffin Poofs. Oh wow! From the Bill Murray episode, but I couldn't get any. I couldn't find them. Maybe I got I'll their names because I looked up the Yale eighty-two Whiffin Poofs, uh-huh. but I couldn't. Their names are so generic. Wow! They all went poof. I guess maybe they're no. They're I'm sure there are some of them are alive, but it's like. It's like, you know, Jim Stevens. Uh, is a thousand Jim Stevens. Oh, okay, yeah. So, yeah, that's some of the time you have a problem when you have a guy like with the same, with a, such an easy name. Yeah, yeah. Like when I wrote to Tom Gamble, he sent me back a postcard. Oh, wow, that's nice. Of him. And, and then George Meyer sent me an email that he listens when he, you know, when he, there's a guest that he knows. Oh, cool. Which is cool, and I'd love to have him on, obviously. Oh yeah. But then Jim Downey and Rob Smigel, nothing. Um. Well, thanks for having me on. Um, Listen, anytime you want. You very have fun as always. Yeah. Um. Uh, even if the Writers Guild strike stuff was just an excuse to talk about SNL, that's totally fine with me. <laughs> no, I wanted to talk about the right. I talked to. Oh, okay, cool. I was just joking. Um, uh, I talked to a Brian Pollock. Who's a, who said that when he went out there, he felt like a grandfather because he yeah. wore his '88 strike T-shirt, and everyone and people were just coming up to him going, "Wow, man!" Um, yeah, 
I should say that if, you know, I'm not the most articulate uh, person when it comes to explaining the writer's strike stuff, but if anyone out there wants to listen to someone who is, there was a really good interview just a few weeks ago on Brian Lehrer's podcast um, okay. with, let me see, Lisa, is it Lisa Takauchi Cullen, I think, C-U-L-L-E-N. She's uh, she's great, and she explains all the issues much more clearly than than I did. I, I kind of understand the problems, but I'm not that great at putting it into words. You know, even like ChatGI reminds me of that episode of The Simpsons when they when the robots look at those clowns in Congress. What a bunch of clowns! Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right, man, Arthur. Um, when when are we gonna get that beer? <laughs> April 11th. Okay. There's always, <laughs> there's always a reason. There's always a thing. I love that um, I like to talk to Colin. Oh, yeah. He's he's very he's, he's a very nice guy. Yeah, but um, Colin Quinn's another name. There's a lot of Colin Quinn's. Yeah, that's true. Um, okay, cool. Well, I'll right. get going, but thanks so much. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Anytime. Um, you, have open, you have an open take, you know, and you're great, on, you're great on podcasts. Oh, thanks, man. I'm honored. Most, every couple of months, I, I search your name, see where you, what podcast you've been on, and listen. Oh, nice. That's, that's so cool. But there's a French guy with your name. Yes, I've well, learned that. Yeah. Not you. Yeah, not me. He's not as funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, cool. Well, have a great day, Ian. You and, too. Um, this was a lot of fun, as always. All right. Bye. Cool. Bye.